Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sound of Synergy podcast. This is one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm also here with Kathleen. Thank you for joining our workout, our mind workout with Food for Thought. Um, for today's episode, you know, Kathleen, uh, Kathleen and I were texting and she just had a great topic that I think um, definitely uh, fits under the scope of health and wellness. But I think just universally, it has a lot of applications. So um, I'll just go ahead and give the floor to Kathleen so she can go ahead and get this conversation started. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Um, so topic came up because it's career development month. So it actually came up in that context. But um, going through a bunch of sessions, trainings, conversation with other women in engineering, one recurring theme is almost always imposter syndrome and dealing with your inner critic. Um, so all of us have kind of a voice or a thought pattern that tells us, you know, you're not good enough or you're not doing enough or you're doing it wrong or you could be doing it better, you know, whatever that specific voice is saying. So I was thinking about it and I definitely wanted to talk about this with you because I think, like you said, it's universal and it touches all aspects of our lives, but especially in health and wellness in general, I don't think I've ever come across anyone who hasn't had a voice inside them that's just completely dragging them down or threatening to at least at one point in their whole journey. So where I wanted to start actually is asking you, you know, you've obviously had a long journey with health and wellness and you're still on that journey. What was the earliest you can remember sort of getting down on yourself and, and what was it about? Yeah, great question. You know, I, like you said, I think with something with, you know, inner self-criticism, I think it, it definitely I don't like to I don't like to use this word plagues, but sometimes like in a negative connotation, like I think the word plagues definitely is justified here. But I, I think this inner uh, critic, uh, it definitely plagues a lot of us, um, usually like on a negative um, standpoint. And when I think of it, it, it definitely was something very, very young. I think for sure, you know, in, in school, um, the earliest memories that I can think of were, you know, I'd probably say like second third grade is when i would say it really like stemmed especially like when you start to see academics um kind of come into play and like where do you sit in academia but then also like i think it, for me as well loving sports and being in sports you start to see the transition of like you know innocent kid play to okay you're growing up you know first second third fourth grade and um you're starting to get instead of innocent play more um you know organized sports and with organized sports comes you know competition competition breeds the in my opinion uh, more self-critique um and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that but yeah i think my youngest memory was probably around you know first second grade you know when i started to realize like hey you know, if I do well in school, my teachers praise me and my parents praise me. And then, you know, there was talks of like, do you go into the advanced classes, um, even even at that young age? And definitely um, basketball was instilled at me at age what was that five. Um, I think that's first like kindergarten, first grade. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when it, it first uh, spurred on for me. Gotcha. Do you think it was driven by 
one thing I think about a lot, obviously from a biology standpoint, is that whole like nature versus nurture debate. And, you know, do you think it was just based on your innate personality or your environment or a combination of both? Yeah, I think the age-old question, uh, nature versus nurture, is always going to be highly debated, I think, in in science. You know, I'm interested to see where your thoughts lie with Mm -hmm. it. I think personally, and I think it's always fluctuated as I've grown up, you know, but right now, I'm definitely have always been... It's a little bit of both. I know that sounds such like a boring answer, but I definitely think it's a little bit of both, you know, and, you know, with my, what I see with my father at the time and, you know, other cousins, you know, I'm an only child, but what I saw with my other cousins, definitely you can see um, competition. Like I said before, with competition, I think that already innately breeds, you know, some inner self uh, critic. and so I think a little bit stem from from genetically, but I think nurturing as well. I think you saw it again with parenting style, but also because I was put into sports um, and the people that are around who, who are also put into sports, you know, kind of have that same mentality or they're bred the same way, so to speak. And I think um, I, I, it was a little bit of both that, that influence, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I'm sure. Um, you have your own take on that. And I know you, you've talked about it before. You've been in sports at a young age as well. Um, is that something that, sh- that you believe in as well, that it's a little bit of both? Or is that something that's, that's separate? Yeah, I definitely think it's both. For me, I would say it was actually more the environment because I grew up in a really intense... Uh, I'm trying to think how to describe it. Like It was a very high-achieving um, area, a pretty affluent area um my parents are very intense people in a good way like they work very hard they achieve a lot so I think I absorbed a lot of that partly because of my personality partly because of genetics definitely predisposed to anxiety um (laughs) on both sides and similar to you I am an only child And I actually have my, some of my best friends are also only children. And we talk about how, um, when you're in that position, a lot of the time you feel like you have to be everything. I would definitely agree on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there's no, no one else. Like there's no sibling. You can't physically put someone between you and your parents. Like you're not the athletic one or the smart one or the funny one. You're all of those in one. And I know like we've talked about this in, in the context of identity, but I think what that does is create like a pressure cooker, basically. So even if you don't have those external influences, like sports, for example, like you brought up, you're just internally creating them. So for me, I felt like my self-critic just really emerged from feeling all of this pressure to be an incredible athlete, an incredible student. Um really nice, really well-liked. I have to have friends. Uh, I also felt like I wanted to be popular, which I think is a really common thing, especially for girls. But, you know, I was tall, awkward. I had buck teeth. I was not blonde. I'm like, nope, I'm immediately disqualified. And so I'd get down on myself for that too. Um, But yeah, I think that was my experience. And it sounds like we have some parallels for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. I think as, like you said, being only children, um, I could definitely vouch for that that similar feeling of just uh, 
I don't want to say it's a burden, but yeah, like like you have a lot to shoulder because you're the only only child. I mean, obviously it comes with its perks, right? I mean, you're the only child, you get all the attention, uh, you're usually uh, deemed as spoiled, which I can definitely say I was, you know, spoiled in, in some areas. But yeah, along with that, though, comes with the, the insane pressure to to excel and perform. And I think that definitely um, could be good, though, in some areas. I think, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think from our conversations, we've always talked about our inner drive, a little bit about... Um, yeah, ourself, uh, how, how we self-critique ourselves, but also how that leads to a lot of areas of success in, in, in areas of our life. And so I can see how that's definitely a positive thing um, when you think about having some sort of inner critique. Because, uh, you know, I think people who don't have that, um, sometimes it is a lot easier to... Um, quote unquote, I use this term loosely, like excel in certain areas. Not to, not to say that that's the you know, the best way to do anything. But a, a lot of the times our, our society and the climate that we're, that we're in always likes to tell us that you have to excel and no matter what you're doing in order to feel or be successful, even though this could be, that could be another podcast episode because that's yeah. a whole can of worms of whether or not that's actually necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, definitely can, can vouch for those similar feelings. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you pretty much summed it up well. So in terms of, you know, like, obviously things change from when you're little to when you're an adult, we go through plenty of evolution. But I'm curious, like, what, what did your inner critic used to say then? And is it the same thing now? So sort of getting into like, what is the voice of your inner critic? What are some of the messages you usually have to, or you become aware of or have to deal with? Yeah, you know, that's, it's a very good question you know i think over the years i've struggled to really to really pinpoint it mm-hmm. um only i think till recently have i been able to be like you know the the real question that needs to be answered is this because there's a lot of like you know criticisms that are going in my mind but i think it all stems from like um one thing and when i think about that um it was definitely something that i faced then and that i'm definitely will not be sitting here and saying like i've mastered it i mean i still think that i'm working towards it and and always trying to improve upon it but that question and that cri- criticism that i always come up with is like how can i be the best at xyz um obviously back then it was like well how to be the best in, in basketball and then as i got older it it transformed into okay how do i become the best um um you know athlete for myself and then that transposed into like how do i become you know the best physical therapist or the trainer um and i still have those aspirations for sure um now but i've learned to you know taper it down a little bit or at least just examine like what does best really mean you know i think i think i mentioned it uh earlier is that in this climate that we're in or the environment that we're in it's so easy to be persuaded or it's been harped upon to be the best at whatever it is i mean we get that from from being very young like you get straight a's you get um you know a trophy, you get um, admiration and applause once you like excel. And the more that you excel, it always goes. So it's like, no wonder why it's so easy to get, I'm gonna use the word trap sometimes in, in trying to be the best at something. But I think, and we mentioned it um, earlier in this podcast that, but that that just like gives a lot of pressure. 
Yep. Um, you know, and and I very, I I very real, very realized. I realized that a lot, especially when I when I took on um, the whole enterprise of trying to establish strength of synergy. You know, uh, four four and a half years ago, um, definitely like, well, how do I become the best physical therapist slash trainer slash you know coach for people. And, you know, I slowly realized that, like, yeah, I think it's good to help keep me keep me focused, trying to improve, because I think, you know, obviously being stagnant is also where I don't want to be. You know, like they always right. say, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Right. Right. Um, but I, I've slowly tried to realize that, you know, maybe it isn't about being the best. I think it's there to help push me forward. But I have to, you know, be realistic in what I'm trying to do, because I think that having so much of that pressure can really, really kill you. I mean, not even just like mentally and emotionally, but it can physically like kill you, you know, like uh, that's how depression sets in and things um, of that nature. So I, I would say that that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I, so I heard, you know, you say a lot, you, you frame it like, how can I be the best X and how can I get to the best point? And I think that's really cool because I mean, yes, it, it creates pressure, like you were saying, but I think it also puts maybe a more optimistic spin on that voice as opposed to other types of messaging, because you're, like you said, pushing yourself and motivating yourself because you want to be excellent and succeed. Um, so I kind of see it like a double-edged sword in a way, as you were talking. Yeah. It's like you've got that inner drive, that ambition, but then... Um, you know, best is kind of arbitrary. And why do you have to be the best? Like what's going to happen if you're number two and who is even defining number two? Um, it's like Taldega Knights. If you're not first, you're last, except that's not real either. So, um, yeah, yeah. so I, I thought that was cool. Like it, I, I like how you framed it because it's not, I don't know, it's not clear cut, you know, messaging like, oh, you suck, you're bad. It's like, oh, you could do better. But then there's still a way to even improve on that message. Yeah, I, I think um, what you were saying with the whole the the the, the internal messaging, I think is because I think you can take the whole like what what is what is the best to you, right? I think that's all like very very subjective, and I think we're all motivated by different things. Um, I definitely realized early on that yeah, this was a great motivation. It kept me sharp. It kept me going. But like, it really was like. It really became a detriment at some at some point because um, it's interesting. We get these. You brought up like Talladega Nights with like if you're not first, <laughs> you're last, and it's it's. I don't want to say it's funny. It's interesting because we're we're um, conditioned to believe that like if you're not first in something or you're not the best in something, then you're like you're you know chopped liver. You're nothing, you know. Yeah. And I think in real life, that's very rarely the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting. I think there was a time in my life where I was really trying to find myself. Um, you know, I was, this was around, you know, post call, uh, post high school, getting into early college. I was still like trying to identify who I was, you know, at the time, you know, my parents have been divorced for a long time, but like at this point I was, um, attaching myself a little bit from my, my father, which I don't know if you know, or, you know, people listening know, like I don't really speak to my father as much anymore. But there was a lot of things going on. And one of the things that I really tried to immerse myself in was just 
self-help anything whether that was just like a podcast or a book or and i didn't care what it was i didn't care if it was something i believed in or i didn't believe in right anything that just had a positive message i tried to just like take in and i think one of those things one um was um was a podcast or a, it was it was it was a recording i wasn't a podcast it was just like a recording that i that i got my hands on in because my friend recommended it to me and it was a joel austin um oh, okay yeah excerpt and one of the things that he talked about was like um like uh professional athletes or people who are high achievers you know they work so hard for like let's say like a nba championship or something and yeah it seems great and all that stuff but like when they really reflect on it sometimes they're just like oh that was that was it um and his point wasn't to like make the belittle anything from from earning a certain achievement but i think his point was that you know we sometimes blindly accept these these standards that society gives us like, like uh, winning a championship or being the best at whatever as like the best way or the thing that will lead us into happiness but i think his point was that that isn't entirely true and so when i started to reflect on that it really did help um still give myself an inner um I still criticize myself, but I, I tried to do it less. I tried to set a bar that was achievable for myself uh, well, to keep me on track, but also something that um, that wasn't so detrimental to my mental, emotional health, which I think um, early on I could vouch for when, when you set a bar as like being the best at anything, that's just like a really tall order to, to, oh, yeah. to have. <laughs> oh yeah, and it only sets you up to what well what you consider to be failing because it's like completely black and white there's one outcome or no outcome instead of like 20 possible outcomes where there's actually no judge or no grade being given it's just hey you did it that's it now move on keep living your life it, exactly I, yeah i can totally relate though to that um that quote um that you were talking about with with athletes where you know you hit that milestone or that mark and you're like okay so what and that's uh, man I I wish I had read that too because I could never think of why a reason explained why you know once I achieved something I just felt empty like I always expected to feel really excited and really overjoyed and happy and I think I would feel that way maybe for 24 hours and then it's immediately okay what's next on to the next thing not good enough so like for me my struggle has, or my voice inner critic has always been not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And it's, it's strange to me because I work really hard and I am pretty confident and my confidence has grown year over year um, in fitness and wellness and then all other aspects of my life, but it never felt like that, that translated to shutting that inner critic up or making it go away um, because I still always struggle with this not good enough. Like it doesn't matter what I achieve. I can't prove to myself a lot of the time that I am good enough because I don't think I've, I still haven't done enough work to define what exactly good enough means to me versus what it meant to like 10 year old me or 15 year old me or 20 year old me. I was so wrapped up in that external you know, validation and support and, you know, what the, the linear progression through life is yeah. supposed to be that I just couldn't. And I'm, I'm still struggling and only now starting to 
get out of myself enough to be like, this is a great, <laughs> a great life. And being quote unquote average is awesome because most people are average. Otherwise they wouldn't call it average. Yeah. Well, well, here's, here's the interesting part about the whole word average or being like, it's okay to be average. It's like, it's so interesting because it's like the whole connotation or the feeling around being average is like, it sounds great, right. To like associate yourself with average, but at the same time, there's also like this negative connotation with it. Like, right. Oh, we're just, and that's always something that's, that's, that I've always been interested in and I don't know if I'll ever get an answer to like why we we look at things like that like it's yeah it sounds good to be like be part of average but yet sometimes we don't want to be like average I mean it we kind of see with so many things like you just talked about you know trying to achieve uh something you reach it and then it's like what's next what's next so it's like we're always searching for the next high or the next thing that will help fill in the void um but I, I do I do wonder though, uh, and maybe I'm loading the question here a little bit, but I do wonder if it if uh, you know being in a science background or being a type A uh, personality le- leads itself to to what we're talking about even more so because you know especially as a as a scientist you know we definitely have to um, see a linear progression like we're taught like especially in science it's like there has to be empirical evidence in order to yeah. to make an assessment and to make a, mm-hmm. a fact out of it and to move forward but like I you know sometimes science is black and white but I think the human experience really isn't that black and white and so sometimes right. myself I find uh, myself having an inner battle um, a lot of the times, because very, very similarly to you, I have the same, that same voice, like, oh, that's not enough, that's not enough. And even though I pride myself on like, oh, that's a great thing, because it's helped me succeed in certain areas. But I, I feel bad about it, because it, it adds so much pressure, as I talked about before. But um, so I have, I have that aspect. Um, but then as a, my, I guess my more human side is like, well, that's okay, I cut myself some slack. But then that scientific slash like type A slash like competitive side continues to fight that. Like, no, the empirical evidence says that I haven't achieved this yet. I haven't got yep. this award yet. And I think I see that a lot with with a, a lot of people, a lot of clients that I've worked with. Um, and like I said, I'm not sitting here to say that I've mastered that you know taking control of that um but i do realize that from the people that i've seen it with um obviously with my 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 experience i'm curious to see what it was like for your experience but it's it's something that needs to be worked on every single day um and and that's something that i think that gets missed in just health and wellness in general like no matter what goal it is right you're always going to have like an inner critic i think you know like for instance you know people want to they come to me I'm like, hey, I want to look like this person or I want to, you know, get a six pack or lose some weight. And they're just like constantly just like setting the bar no matter what, even if they're like, oh, look, you've lost like 10 pounds um, and you feel healthy, you have more energy. But nope, I don't look like this. And it's just um, what I've kind of learned, though, is that it's my job. And I think that's it's probably for me, I, I think it's the most important part of my job. That's why I call it coaching and not necessarily training, even though to some yeah. people that just might be semantics. Um, but I take very big pride in the the fact that I differentiate things from like training and coaching is to help remind them, you know, to to sometimes to 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 peel back or like um, feel good about the the wins that they do have. Um, 
and to just remind them that it, this is a constant thing that, that that we need to work on every single day. Um, sometimes I feel very sad that that's the messaging that we get with health and fitness, that like everything is quick, everything's easy, or like once you get it, that's it. But right. very rarely do if anything that we achieve uh, that we have to just stop working. Like, no, it's like it's the small things that we work on every single day that like you have to like brushing our teeth, for instance, as, as yeah. nominal as that sounds, it's like to make sure that your teeth are healthy. You don't just brush it once and whiten your teeth once. And that's it. Like, no, you got to do it every day. And so um, that's something that I've learned and that I try to preach with um, you know my clients, especially when it comes to these inner um, criticisms. Definitely. That's something I was actually just talking to a career mentor about. It all comes down to practice, which is the toughest part. And like you said, that's even a core tenet of just like wellness and fitness in general is you're not going to get results or hit your goals if you don't have consistency. So it's the same thing dealing with your inner critic. You have to listen, you have to combat it, you know, whatever technique you use, and you have to do it all the time, like regularly day after day. And even then you still not still might not get rid of it. But just the act of showing up for yourself, just like the act of showing up for a workout or a meditation or, you know, whatever that that critical routine is, it's like a sign of respect to yourself. And I think that's the part I personally struggle with, with this whole self-critic thing is because I let it just sit there and talk to me and like, oh, it's just a part of my day. Okay. Instead of being like, nope, I am not dealing with this or you know, yelling back at it or whatever. <laughs> My mentor gave yeah. me like a bunch of techniques and she was like, honestly, do whatever, you know, works for you. Um, and, you know, one thing also she said is in the past, what have you usually done to, to draw boundaries in an unhealthy situation? And, you know, that can mean unhealthy with, again, wellness or dealing with toxic people or whatever. And for me, that was emotional detachment and taking myself out of the situation and, reminding myself that I don't own other people's feelings, especially when they're mistreating me. So it's mm. the same thing here. Like I can say, nope, I'm not going to engage with this or be like, this is just a thought. It's not actually who I am. It doesn't have any power. And of course it's easy to say all this, but the real work, like you said, is actually practicing it and doing it day in and day out. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's why I've grown uh, with such fond affinity for um, um, yoga, you know, I know we've talked about it before. I know you, we've talked about like your flexibility <laughs> and and how to work on that. And even, and even for, <laughs> no, but even even for me, I mean, I know we we started doing the whole uh, I watch thing. And I, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of my workouts are really revolved, or the things that I I put on my watch is flexibility. Um, and so I usually do a lot of yoga or flexibility. I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyways, the, that's the one reason why I have such a strong affinity towards yoga because the verbiage that they use, and I know sometimes it, um, it seems so minuscule about words that we say, and you know, even when, when we're taught young, like, you know, uh, um, what's that, that, that song that we sing to, to kids, you know, like, um, like words don't mean any, like, you know, like, oh, sticks and uh, stones, sticks and stones, my bones. But words are never heard. Yeah. Obviously, it's funny that we that we say that, but obviously words really do affect us. And case in point, this is why I, I like um, yoga is because they use the word, but their sessions that they do is always practice. Pra mm -hmm. Like, you know, they invite you to to their practice. And um, I think that's very 
very cool. You know, like I said, sometimes words and we just kind of like throw them around and doesn't mean much. But I think in this case, it definitely helps. And I started to utilize that um, to myself. I mean, I obviously don't say that all the time to potential clients and things like that, because sometimes they'll get confused or they're just not oriented to that sort of verbiage yet. But for myself, it helps me to know that like when I'm here uh, for my workouts, um, you know, I call them practices. Mm-hmm. And 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 because it's something that I'm trying to practice, and I think building that association that it's practice does lend itself to know that this is something that needs continuous work, and it's something that needs continuous work. Like time will usually make you better at it, and if you become better at it, then it becomes you know like you said, it's more consistent. The more consistent you are, the more that you're going to be able to master that. Because um, I think it's so easy to 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 lose yourself in just like a workout or something like that and actually actually that's like one of my things where i think um some people fail to get results sometimes it's because the their intention for the workout is kind of just like i'm just going to be here for 10 20 minutes and just get out but that's right. very similarly to like if you're going to go study and just like just because i'm going to study for three hours doesn't mean that it's quality studying like it's right. sometimes it's better to study 30 minutes of quality setting where you're focused and those three versus those three hours, if you're like on your phone or something. So, um, a little tangential off there, but yeah, I I think the, the word practice really means a lot to me. And it just, I just got reminded of that when you were talking about, um, practice. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And you just made me like, remember why I'm so glad to be done studying. Um, (laughs) 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 Oh my God. I just had a flashback to sitting in a library at like 12 30 in the morning just staring at a textbook and nothing is going in my brain yeah. no I, I i know exactly what you i, I know this is like a, a like a, a just a, a quick anecdote but it's like i always found the irony for me when in physical therapy school right we're learning about like posture and how to not get back pain and all this stuff but yet the thing that we're actually doing which is studying for <laughs> yeah. hours on end is causing that but like you can't avoid it and it just it was just something that uh yeah, it was just um, ironic and funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then, like, the last point I, I wanted to touch on that you also made me think of is um, one really great thing about yoga in particular is that it grounds you in the present moment, like, whether yeah. you want to be there or not. Mm-hmm. And it's physically grounding, too, right? You're usually very connected to the actual ground, like your mat or your body or your breath. And... Um, I know that that's one technique that really helps me when I'm just completely in my own head and overthinking and worrying and being mean to myself is just to like literally like focus on what I'm sitting on or what I'm smelling, you know, the the physical sensations and also just asking myself what's not wrong. So instead of like one thing I hate, I think I, I was ranting to you about this is that whole like gratitude fad of, of wellness. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to rip on it because I think there's obviously a lot of worth in focusing on gratitude and it's an important concept, but I hate when people say, Oh, just be grateful as if it's like a one-stop shop fix. It's like telling an anxious person, don't be anxious. Uh, Oh, okay. Hmm. All right. Why didn't I think of that? No, exactly. (laughs) But I think that's uh, the culture that we live in right now. I think you hit a really good point. I think um, it, I hate to generally say this, but yeah, there there are a lot of things in our culture where we oversimplify things. You know, case yeah. in point that you just said, like, you know, just be thankful. And, and I, I think the sentiment behind it is real, is positive. But yeah, I think everything comes with context. I think that's why like no one really 
likes again to each to each their own but like from what i've experienced like no one really likes to you know be so vulnerable say all this stuff and then like the answer to it is just like yeah just be thankful you know or just something <laughs> exactly. super quick you know and no one really responds <laughs> that, right. that it's fondly insulting. to that yeah it's kind of <laughs> insulting right like it's you right. know we can go down the hole of why we feel that way whether or not it's yeah. valid or not but yeah i think um in our culture the oversimplification of a lot of things can it, it it sounds sexy it's easy it looks great on a hashtag it looks great as a post mm-hmm. right um but i think because of that sometimes it loses its sense of worth um and it also loses um validity in some ways because it's just like we become numb to it oh, like oh, yeah. no like we see it too much uh, and, and, and yeah and so uh i i yeah, i definitely agree with with those kind of uh verbal um adages so to speak Oh, yeah. It looks great in loopy font on Pinterest, but it doesn't work <laughs> in your actual prefrontal cortex. It's like that doesn't translate. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I just wanted to thank you for being so open and, and vulnerable and kind of walking through, you know, like what some of your thoughts have been or your approaches. And um, I think it's a topic like all of our topics we could probably talk for weeks on. But um, I think it's important to kind of practice right like practice discussing it and then grounding ourselves and in what works and um i I know for me it's it's going to be one of those lifelong battle things but i think i'm starting finally to be on the up and up where it's like a manageable i don't want to say burden it's like a manageable piece of me maybe yeah definitely you know thank you for sharing thank you for bringing this up because i definitely do think in the health and wellness um, realm that questions like this need to be talked about and 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 discussed and because this is a health and wellness um, podcast I definitely invite people that are listening to you know whatever your self critique is you know definitely um, spend some time to to think about what uh, what, what those self critiques are and some things that I think have worked for you and have worked for me I think I invite people to to try out definitely the whole uh, yoga thing or just being um that's one thing i do like about yoga because it could you could do yoga or just do some form of it or just utilize its techniques which is just like being present you know being aware as you know as simple simple as it sounds or as stupid as it sounds like it does help a lot to sit and breathe and to be aware of the your 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 physical body have kinesthetic uh, awareness and um coming from a physical therapy standpoint i think um you know uh, aside from just being aware of your your self-criticisms, I think it also helps you to understand where you're breathing, how your body's positioned, and things that can help you decrease some of your low back pain or some of your neck pain. You know, a lot of the times, you know, just as a general example, um, you know, with work and stress and all that stuff, we tend to breathe with our accessory muscles, like up here in this upper trap, and um, we get a lot of tension up there. But you know, I found with a lot of practice with, you know, being present and just focus on actually true breathing, which is breathing through your belly, which um, yoga um, actually really advocates for. You'll notice that, oh, wait, a lot of tension is releasing from my, my upper traps because you're not using those anymore to to breathe. You're using your belly, your diaphragm. Um, so that's just like one little small example of that I have found very useful with with being mindful and practicing those things but thank you for 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 bringing it up i i think um it invites a lot of 
self-reflection on my end and it sounds like it has for you and and hopefully for anyone listening that it 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 does that for them as well definitely yeah awesome well you know if you guys have any questions you can email us at the sound of synergy podcast at gmail.com and we love to talk shop with you um thanks kathleen for bringing that up and you know i'm excited for our next episode so um thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time thanks guys